Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are on the February 19th episode, Genesis, Exodus, last chapter of Mark, beginning of Luke, and Job. Trying to remember that this is one long story that God is telling. Mm -hmm. And like when you see Jacob go down and settle with his sons in Egypt, that this is the exact fulfillment of what God told Abraham was going to happen generations ago. God passes through those two divided sacrifices, mm-hmm. not sacrifices, but animals as the smoking pot and the torch. And what God is saying to him is, here's your sign that what I'm telling you is going to happen, but just so you know, what's going to happen. This is the fulfillment of the very mm-hmm. thing that God is telling him is going to happen. So it's hard to remember that this story, like each story feels like it's its own, but then you right. really want to go back and go, no, this is the story that God foretold chapters ago with Abraham. Okay. So the other thing I was thinking as you were talking just now, I thought we read it this week, but I can't remember the prophecy. I feel like John the Baptist quotes this when it says out of like out of Egypt, I have called my son. Did we read that this week? We did. I'm looking yes. at in Luke, the beginning of Luke, but I'm not seeing it. So maybe yeah, it's John just the Baptist, we head. did read. Right. I'm not seeing that quote as I'm reading, oh. but that's what it makes me think of too. That like, even all of that. So good. To Egypt, like as a baby to run away from Herod, but like these people, this is Judah. Like Jesus comes from Judah and they are in Egypt. Just how it's all planned out. Like none of it is a mistake. Yes. The thread. You're right. It's, it's one really long story. (laughs) One of the things that I wasn't sure about is that the Egyptians were selling themselves. They sold all of their land to Pharaoh. They sold themselves as servants to Pharaoh. And I'm kind of wondering whether Israel was, did Israel have enough of like good pasture that they didn't have to participate in the selling of themselves? Right. And it's interesting to me to see how all of that plays out like generations later that the Egyptians were the ones that sold themselves to Pharaoh to survive the famine. And yet the Israelites are the ones that end up as slaves, like just how quickly, just in a few generations, it's completely changed. Yeah. All the rules are changed and backwards. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And you don't see them like get their lives back, but before you know it, the Egyptians are the taskmasters mm-hmm. over the Hebrews. And that's the way that Pharaoh set that up because these Israelites are flourishing. Right. They're, they've spread. It's out of control. And Pharaoh's like, these guys are going to take over unless we do something. So he makes them mm-hmm. slaves. And the more that they, the harsher that they are, the more that they persecute them, mm-hmm. the more that they flourish, they yeah. grow and grow and grow to the point where then he's like going to kill all of the boys. Mm-hmm. I thought it was all of the firstborn, but it's all of the boys. All the boys. Yeah. Now, all the baby boys are supposed to be killed. 
I don't know. That was an encouragement to me as a reminder. I know I say it a lot and I think it a lot in terms of like, as hard times come and as like, as Christians become, we will face persecution. Mm -hmm. We don't really now, but Mm -hmm. more and more. And when we do, the harsher we're treated, the more the gospel is spread. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really good foreshadowing or a picture of how that all Mm -hmm. works. I just wanted to take a short break to let you know that we have a brand new community of believers on our Dive Collective Network. If you're looking for a more in-depth Bible study, we offer what we call Dive Studies. Right now, we're going through the book of Genesis in eight-week sections, and we'd love to have you join us. We have weekly meetings via Zoom. So if you're looking to go further in your studies, I highly recommend that you come and see us at divecollective.org for more information. In 49, where Jacob is blessing the sons, mm. um, one, I thought it was just really interesting that Levi, Levi, so Simeon and Levi are kind of lumped together in this blessing, but theirs mm-hmm. is not great. They are fighters. He pronounces a curse on their anger. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll throw them out with the trash. I'll shred and scatter them like confetti throughout Israel. Levi becomes priests, the tribe of priests. Like I just was like this, I don't know just how it's just, it's something that I probably will pay attention to as I read now to see like what else happens with Levi. So here's a question. Do you know the answer is the, where it says crispy, their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. Is that, are they the brothers who avenged Dinah? Oh, I thought it was Reuben. Maybe you're but right. Maybe not. I wasn't sure. I was trying to figure out what he's referring to because I figured there must be a story behind it. And do we know it? Um, but I, I literally just put see. a question. And I was hoping you might know. You're, it is. It's Simeon and Levi. Good call. It is. It's <gasps> Simeon and Levi. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, I guess it makes sense because they did totally like they, that was a vendetta. Like that's how Peterson translates this. He says, I don't want anything to do with their vendettas. I want no part in their bitter feuds, which makes so much more sense now that you just pointed out that they're the ones that, because that's what it was. Like it was taken care of in a different way. But it seemed like it was a righteous anger. (laughs) Right. It totally did. It totally did. (laughs) Which is why I am not the judge of heaven and earth. Right. Lord. Right. Um, And yet they're still, Simeon and Levi are still part of this chosen group of people and God uses Levi's descendants to represent him for the, represent the people to him, you know, like, yes. Cause that's what Moses is. We find mm-hmm. out that Moses is actually a Levite, mm-hmm. which is why they're the first pre like then the priests descend from Moses and Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Levite mom and dad actually that give birth to Moses and they keep throw him down the river in a basket, mm-hmm. which we read this week. Yes. And he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Here's where like, again, I just keep thinking through parenting and I'm like, peace. I get so much peace from recognizing that God is ultimately in control of our children's destinies. Mm -hmm. Like Moses is probably brought up in a pagan. Well, he's brought up in a pagan home for sure, but he's also brought up. He's probably spoiled. He probably has Mm -hmm. all of the things that he could, who who knows how he was disciplined or if he was disciplined. And yet he grows up and becomes the deliverer of the people. His mom 
took care of him the best she could. And the best way that she knew how to take care of him was to send him off in a basket mm-hmm. and let God have control. It makes me think of right. Hannah and Samuel, like she, like she's giving up the, she's trusting her. <laughs> I guess my only option is to let God handle it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. She recognized that was the best. Yeah. Yeah. And that he would serve, at least he would survive. And then God, the, oh, the way God works is so great. I love that the sister follows girls are so cool the way that they like scheme and find ways to make situations mm-hmm. better. So mm-hmm. the, the sister follows, she goes up to the, <laughs> to her and says, Hey, do you, I see that you right. found a baby. Do you want, <laughs> do you want a nurse to nurse the baby? I happen to know a nurse. I happen to know someone. Mm-hmm. What do they call it? A wet nurse? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. And she brings the mom. So mom gets to nurse Moses. And she gets paid to do it. That's like, so yeah, odd. like just a yeah. little on top of a little cherry. I'm going to give you what you want and provide for you in the process. Yeah. yeah. Oh, provide abundantly more than you would have ever asked right. or imagined. Right. She gets to nurse her son and she gets paid provision mm. to do it. It's awesome. We've taken more time on Genesis than we intended. And there was something else I was going to say. Oh, one thing that I just wanted to clarify for anybody that was struggling as I was to find the 12 tribes because there's only there's 11 listed and then Ephraim and Manasseh get chose they they both get blessed as sons so then you have 13 and I was trying to figure out what was happening there and what happens there is the Levites aren't considered a tribe they become priests so they don't get any land I thought they were still continue, considered a tribe, but they are not. They're right. it's yeah. the twelve tribes plus the Levites. Plus and the I Levites. always forget that. Yeah, I, I always that forget that year. too. I'm glad you said that. The end of Exodus two is just a really cool place to end. Many years later, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cries from relief from their for relief from their hard labor ascended to God. God listened to their groanings. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw what was going on with Israel. God understood. It made me think of, I think this was actually the Genesis, the dive Genesis podcast that we talked about this, but like how God remembered his covenant with Noah in the ark. Not that he forgot, but like, I'm like, this is the plan that I had to be faithful to this thing. Yeah. And I just loved God listened, God remembered, God saw and God understood. I just thought that was good. All right, Job, we start in chapter 12 and we go to 19. We're watching the friends be the friends and Job respond. There were a couple places that I saw Job be sarcastic in his response to his friends. And I kind of love that. I'm from a very sarcastic family. Yes. Chapter 13. The end of it made me think of how you often talk about like laying it all bare before God. Mm. He's just so honest in the way that he speaks to God, he said, I won't read the whole thing, but he says, um, why do you, how many sins have been charged against me? Show me the list. How bad is it? Why do you stay (laughs) hidden and silent? Why treat me like I'm your enemy? Why kick me around like an old tin can? Why beat a dead horse? You compile a long list of mean things about me, even hold me accountable for the sins of my youth. You hobble me. So I can't move about. You watch every move I make and brand me as a dangerous character. Like this is Job talking to God. Like he's Mm -hmm. very, which is another thing I noticed later on at the end of 19. So Job recognizes 
that God is allowing this or even doing like Job is like, I know that this is from God. Like I know that this is happening from God. And he's so brutally honest in the way that he questions God about it. He recognizes that he can't hide anything from God. So he's not even going to try. Like he's going to just bear it all before him. And then at the end of 19, he says, if only my words were written in a book, better yet chiseled in stone, which is a little bit ironic, I think that he says that and we're reading it. Yes. Still, I know that God lives, the one who gives me back my life and eventually he'll take his stand on earth and I'll see him even though I get skinned alive. See God myself with my very own eyes. Oh, how I long for that day. He like he gets it in this way that like I can't even wrap my mind around. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's he's frustrated with his friends. He's he says things like like um when are you going to shut up? Like, stop talking to me and saying all these things. And they keep going back and forth. Do you think I don't know that? Like, do you think I'm, do you think you're so much wiser than yes. I am? Like they say that back and forth to each other. It's like, they're enjoying watching the righteous one fall. Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. That's yep. a different podcast. That was just, yeah, that was from Genesis, <laughs> but no, that's exactly what it's like anyway. Mm-hmm. But, and so Job is like so brutally honest with God. And yet at the same time, recognizing that in the end, God wins. Yes. And he's going to witness this. Yes. And it's okay with him in a sense, but not okay. Like he wants to die. What He wants this all to end. Ever since you brought it to my attention last week, where you just see Job praying for Christ. Like he's mm-hmm. just like, he's praying, he's calling out for Christ, for his savior. And this at the end of 19 is the perfect example. It's probably one of the most quoted passages in Job where he says, for I know that my redeemer lives. He says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. I didn't even know that's what I was reading. Because and after my version. Yeah. And after my skin has thus destroyed yet in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. He's literally talking about Christ. He knows that Christ is coming. He's but you, I, anyway, just seeing Christ all through Job's, I mean, it's everywhere now that yeah. you, it's not everywhere, but like, you just see like, it, little like every it, few like, chapters. Yeah. I'll have yes. something. Well, this one, the one thing that I wrote about that I sent you is from this reading this week in 14. Yes. If we die, will we live again? That's my question. All through these difficult days, I keep hoping, waiting for the final change for resurrection, homesick with longing for the creature you made. You'll call and I'll answer. You'll watch over every step I take, but you won't keep track of my missteps. My sins will be stuffed in a sack and thrown into the sea, sunk deep in the ocean. Yes. That phrase, homesick with longing for the creature you made, like that's like garden. Like he's like, I know that this is not how it was meant to be. Yes. And I know that someday you're going to make it right and put it back to the way it was meant to be. I wrote, I underlined, it says, for then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. Yes. That's that shame, that covering over. Yes. So last week, I think we talked about on the recap in the end of chapter nine, he uses the like courtroom saying, I wish I had an arbiter that could come before. So in 16 this week, um, at the very end, maybe verse 19 or 20, oh, yes. um, 
There must be someone in heaven who knows the truth about me in highest heaven, some attorney who can clear my name, my champion, my friend, while I'm weeping my eyes out before God, I appeal to the one who represents mortals before God as a neighbor stands up for a neighbor. Uh, and it made me like Jesus is our high priest. Yes. Like that's what he does, which, which like ties into that whole tribe of Levi. Like I <laughs> just, I mean, pulling threads. Here we go again. That Job is just aching for this thing. And God's like, it's already planned. Like I'm already going to do it. Like, yes, I love, I mean, like Job, the middle of Job, it's really funny. Cause remember we were coming to the middle of Job and I was like, I kind of just want to skip this whole thing. Cause always yeah. see Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But now, like that, I'm seeing like Job prophesying and calling out. He doesn't have any of the background. I know he's like the. It's just he's crying out for what he knows is waiting for him that he has no business knowing is waiting for him. Right. His. It's like he knows. He just knows God's character enough to yes. know that God is going to fix it. Like he doesn't necessarily know how he knows how, what he wishes for. He knows that he wants someone to be there to do that thing for him. But then like that section where it says, I know that my redeemer lives, whether or not he fully understands who the redeemer is and how God's going to work that out. He knows God's going to do it. Like he's aching for a redeemer. Yes. Knows he's going to do it. Yes. When I, when we were in Guantanamo Bay and I was going through a really really painful time. And I couldn't really share a lot of the details with people, but I knew like I could share enough that like when I would have, I remember having, I remember a specific friend sitting on the porch with me and she was rocking in a rocking chair and I was swinging on my swing. And I remember saying like, I know this is God's hand upon me. Like, I know that what I'm going through, like God is doing this. It's excruciatingly painful but I know it's him. I was saying it to my friend, but at the same time, I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, testifying to God. And that's what I think of when I think of like Job here, as he's talking about what's true about God and he's speaking to his friends who can't possibly get it, Mm -hmm. but there's something about, about saying out loud, I know this is the hand of God on me because there's so much hope in that. Because at the end of the day, you're like, if this is God's hand on me and I know who he is, just like Job knows who he is. I, I know that my redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. This will all be redeemed somehow, some way. And Job is like eternally focused. He's like, he has no idea that he's going to be restored. He just wants right. to so that he can go right. with it. But um, I just, re- I relate so much to that, like aching just this week, having that picture of this woman rocking on the porch with me as I'm just kind of pouring out this, like, I know this is God's hand upon me. Mm-hmm. And she just sat, she was good. She was a good friend, you know, to just, and she was, I wouldn't call her a close friend now. Yeah. And I don't think we even had the same faith perspective, but she just sat and listened. She just sat and listened. Yeah. Like that's a, she's a good friend. Good friend. Yeah, that is a good friend. Anyway, I just relating to that whole, like you're pouring out your heart about who God is as a friend just sits and listens. Mm. Thank God she was not one of these guys. These guys are really hard to listen to. Yeah. And Job is so, it's interesting to me how, like the back and forth is interesting, just like from a purely relational perspective. Because I think I would be like, 
okay, I'm going to shut up now. Maybe I wouldn't. I hope that if as I one said, of the friends or as Joe, right. As one of the friends, yeah. But they don't stop. Like they just keep going. And each time they're, they're like, so sure they know they're they so are sure so sure they know, know what the yeah. problem is. Right. They yeah. are. And then I think they're genuinely trying to help. They're genuinely trying to say like, if you mm-hmm. just confess Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, like, and then we can be on with it, you know. Right, but right. Let's move stubborn. on. And poor Job is just as stubborn, not stubborn, but good, like in a good way. Like, I would confess if there was anything for me to confess. I have- right, and like he's so he's completely laid everything bare before yes. God. So there's nothing. There's he. You can you can tell as you're reading that he fully recognizes that there's he has no way to hide anything from God, and he's not trying to. The problem is, is they all have the same theology. You get what you deserve. Job's problem is the same as their problem. Job is like, I'm not like, I don't, well, in the end, we're going to see it. But like, he's like, I don't deserve this. I'm not, it's not that I deserve this because I am completely innocent. Right. And they're right. all saying like, you must deserve it because you, you don't deserve do it right. unless you deserve it. It's kind mm-hmm. of that same, like, I hadn't really Which is that. why Job's wrestling through it so much. Yes. Because he's like, I know that I don't deserve this. So why is it happening? Like, yes. everyone's telling me and what I've always been taught or whatever believed is that this only happens if you deserve it. But I know that I don't. So yes. that's like, that's kind of where all the questions are coming from, I think, for Job. Like, yes. trying to figure out why this is happening. And spoiler alert, we're going to find it out at the end, much like we found out, like what we see in the beginning in the foreshadowing mm-hmm. is that this is not about deservedness. This is about mm-hmm. God is God and we are not. Mm-hmm. He can do whatever he wants and sh- to show us whatever he wants. And it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to do with what we deserve mm-hmm. a lot of times. Anyway. All right. Let's go to Luke. Luke is basically saying why he's writing this down. Mm. Um, and it, I think reading that, it makes it feel so personal. Almost like I'm reading this, almost like I'm reading a letter or a journal or something like Luke's personal. This is what I want you to know, Theophilus. Like this is the story and this is what you need to know. Okay. So the reason that that's significant to me is that I was just having a conversation recently with the chaplain. At some point he was talking about how what happened was all of these people thought that they, Jesus was going to come back before they died. Mark right. thought it. Matthew thought it. Peter thought it. Paul, Paul? thought it. Paul, yeah. They all were, th- were ready for him to come back next week. And so as they're like getting ready to die, as they're realizing he might not come back before they die, they're like, we've got to get this down. Like we can, and we need to get it down now. And so reading this paragraph with that conversation in mind, yeah. thinking through like, that's what, Luke is doing is Luke is like, okay, I know that all of these other people are writing down their accounts. It seems like it would be wise for me to also write down a pretty well-researched account, um, Mm -hmm. orderly account of what happened as Mm -hmm. well, because it's expensive and time consuming. Like this was no small, they they weren't just journaling. (laughs) Right. Right. I know. I made it sound like it wasn't a big deal, but this is a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I've never in my mind, I kind of think of it as them journaling, like writing down just in their notebooks, like the things that they're jotting it down. And then these are like, these are going down on papyrus as like important documents to be kept for history. Right. And And when you think about it that way, when you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the 
different ways they approach it and organize like as a piece of literature, like Mm. it is quality literature and it's well-organized and well thought out. Like it's not just their bedtime journal that they're jotting down what happened as it happens. Like this is. They're arguing for different, different reasons. Yeah, right. They approach Christ it for, Christ. yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And what Which, Luke, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's one of those things that I've always wondered, like, did they talk about that? Like, were they like, okay, you focus on this. I'm going to focus on this. Like, I just, they probably didn't. They probably, I would imagine like Matthew's perspective is because of who Matthew was. Like, I feel like it probably just flowed out of their, I mean, even that to see how God so beautifully orchestrated that. Yes. For us. To yes. Have. So something that stood out to me that I hadn't seen before, a lot of like my big things are from these first couple chapters. But one of the things that stood out to me is that like Gabriel comes to Joseph at night or in his house and in dreams. And like Gabriel comes to Mary in her house and in dreams. Like these angels are coming. But um, Zechariah, Mm-hmm. is in the holy of holies like where he's expecting or should be expecting to meet with god so to me it was like the first time i was like it makes a little more sense why gabriel is like okay if you're gonna like i'm meeting you in the holy of holies and you're gonna question whether this is for real we're just gonna zip it for yeah me. the consequence yeah. yeah you know it's not like that's where joseph just that. gets a message and he receives it and he believes it and mary gets a message and she receives it and she believes it like zechariah is the high priest who's right. in the holy he shouldn't be surprised he shouldn't yeah he should yeah. not be questioning whether like what this guy is saying is true he's like that's nobody's really allowed in the holy of holies except the priest with a rope tied around his right in case he dies anyway He's in the presence of God and he gets visited by Gabriel and questions whether it's real or not. I'd like to think that I would believe Gabriel if I were in the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. So Luke 1, what Mary says, mm-hmm. while every, Elizabeth first too, Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah, their prophecies are just like songs of worship or whatever it is, however you want to call it, especially Zechariah's. It's another one of those, like, let me just give you a really short recap of who God is and what he's done. Like, <laughs> I just, especially Zechariah, he just kind of gives mm-hmm. this, like, rundown of who God has been for Israel and how he's keeping their promise, keeping his promises to them through Jesus. Yes. Do you have anything else from Luke? I have one last thing, and then I'm going to wrap up. No, I mostly, I don't think I need to. Last thing that I wanted to talk about is I'd never seen this phrase before, but Jesus gets left in the, at the temple. Mm-hmm. He's like 12, 12 years old, 13 years old, 12 years old. He's young. Yeah. I think he's 12 and they go, they leave. And then they realize that Jesus isn't with them. They go back and Jesus is like, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So Mary didn't understand what was, what Jesus was saying there. But then she ponders it in her heart a verse later. So like she's, she understands something. Right. At any rate, it says that they, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that phrase before? Mm-hmm. He was God. He had yes. all the agency to choose to submit. And that's what makes submission so beautiful because submission is a choice that you make mm-hmm. when you have the freedom not to. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just something so beautiful about that word in regard to Jesus. 
And then in regard to Jesus, to his parents, yeah. at this point, he knows who he is because he said, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? He knows Mm -hmm. who he is. And he's like, I'm going back to Mary and Joseph to submit to these people. Yeah. Even though I am the son of God at 12 years old. Yeah. And then it says he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This section right here and the baptism temptation scenes. Uh-huh. I noticed it, especially in this, in Luke, when he leaves the wilderness after being tested by the devil, just after he leaves, he gets back to Galilee and it says, Jesus returned to Galilee, powerful in the spirit. Mm. And then in that section that you were just talking about when he's in the temple, that God man idea, mm-hmm. there's no explaining it. Like it doesn't matter And I Mm -mm. get it that I don't have the most brilliant mind on the face of the earth. You cannot reconcile those two things completely. Mm -hmm. Like it's not fully explained to us. Jesus grew in body and spirit. How does God grow in spirit? Jesus submitted himself willingly to his parents. Like there are so many things that Jesus. And then we also like we see times where Jesus knows he knows people's hearts, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't exercise his omnipresence as God. Yes. You know what I mean? Like all these things that he's fully God and fully man, and you cannot explain it. You just can't. Yeah. You talk about making your brain hurt. That's one of yeah. those things that makes my brain hurt. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.